All right. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the nations and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Okay, did everybody get an opportunity? Amen. Yeah, right. Uh, did, uh, did everybody get a chance to read the post that I put out there on Men of Torah? Everybody? Yes. We good? Yeah? Okay? All right, so yeah, so we're all good. Anyways. I read the email. Oh, that's good. You, the email? I read the email. I just didn't read the two chapters. Oh, oh, so you read the post, but you didn't read the two chapters. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the post took 12 minutes. The chapters were supposed to take eight. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you read the assignment, but... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 I didn't know there was an assignment. I wouldn't have read the email. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, so... So... so bottom line to me is... Um, and, and I'm going to try and do this as succinctly as I can, so that we can uh, we can start to to walk through some of uh, Rambam's stuff. But on both sides of the coin here, for those who uh, question Yeshua's uh, identity as the Mashiach, um, I don't see that there's any problem with questioning that. I think that's healthy. And I think that in the church, we, uh, we were normally dissuaded from doing that. And I think that's a problem. We, we should be able to question. And uh, I think the flip side of that is, um, as we have already seen, as we've been studying the scriptures ourselves, uh, from more of a Jewish perspective or a rabbinic perspective, there's a whole lot there that we never saw before. There's a whole lot of stuff that uh, the sages, in their wisdom, have uh, have seen and gleaned. And of course, the church has uh, has used their work to identify which passages, in most cases, were messianic, and uh, and then to uh, to try and use these to demonstrate that Yeshua is the Messiah. So. I've actually done classes, taught classes, and sat through classes. Um, that go through this question from a Christian perspective. And I don't want us to do that. I think we should all be able to do that. That's the kind of stuff we are all pretty good at, I would say. Uh, So from a rabbinic perspective, I would expect that um, we would quickly come to the conclusion, especially as Rambam did, if you read through that, um, that uh, Yeshua cannot be the Messiah. Can't be. Um, so let's let's look at some of the things he did say, uh, some of the positive things he said, and some of the things that we can glean from that. And my my goal would be to get, maybe not tonight, but over the next uh, couple of classes, to get an understanding of where they're coming from with the Mashiach. Uh, I think it was Peter said last week, it doesn't seem to be a real concern on their part over his identity, but just that you trust that God will send him. So that's that's cool. I think we're all in that camp. Um, 
So there we go. I think that's uh, that's probably a good meeting. Any any comments on the post or on uh, anything that we started talking about so far? Well, I yes. think that when you mentioned that they don't seem to be too stressed about his, his identity, I think that a key reason for Can that is that they're not talking. Um, is they're talking future tense. Right. So obviously there is no identity issue because Messiah in Judaism isn't here yet. Right. Hence, identity is a non-factor completely. In fact, Rambam goes so far as to say that when it comes to the agotic elements of Messiah, the stories about Messiah, we shouldn't even read those. It's a waste of time. So, like, in my mind, the only reason why there's a contrast, so to speak, between the uh, apostles in the first century and Judaism today is the apostles said, this guy's the Messiah. Right. We're going to talk about that a lot because he's the Messiah. Judaism saying, we don't know who the Messiah is, so we're not going to talk about it because it hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. now, yeah. The apostles, you mean the Jews? Right. I mean, the, the, these, are, these are religious Jews in the first century who see Yeshua as Messiah, so they're talking about it. So identity matters to them. Right. It doesn't matter to a Judaism that doesn't have, doesn't acknowledge a Messiah as having come yet. To Rabbi Akiva, briefly, during the time of, of Bar, Bar Kokhba, it mattered quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Now, after he died and they, and they lost the war with the Romans, it didn't matter anymore. Right. You know, same thing with uh, Schneerson and same thing with Shabtai's feet. It mattered sure. then, but sure. then it doesn't matter afterwards. So, so good. What do you mean it mattered? I mean, like, the identity specifically matters. Because, well, actually, technically, in uh, Sanhedrin 98, in the Talmud, they actually roll through a whole bunch of things about the identity of Messiah, including his name. Um, so it, it's not to say that the identity doesn't matter to, to Judaism. It's just to say that like it's not a it's not a pressing issue. It's not a relevant issue to your daily life. Right, but when you say it matters, or when it matters, like in the era of Shabbat's feet, what does that entail? It doesn't seem like it was a big deal that all the Jews know Shabbat's feet's name. It was more like we found this guy and he's acting like. Mashiach should act. Well, right. Um, I think at that stage of the game, it's kind of like comparable to Yeshua's time initially as people are kind of getting to know him in the beginning of his ministry. It's sort of similar. Schneerson, most of the pressure I was reading about today, most of the conversation that's going on was actually trying to pressure Schneerson to say he was the Messiah. Um, but there was also, there was a pamphlet put out about him. There was encouragement. Um, uh, people sang songs about him being the Messiah. So in the same way that you see that similar fervor surrounding Yeshua right around like the, you know, the triumphal entry and those types of things. So there is that, that energy when he's there. Um, the difference being that, as we will learn here at the Rambam, Orthodox Judaism, with exceptions, tends to give up on guys as possible messianic figures once they die. Whereas the apostles in the first century did not, that is why, for them, the identity still matters. That's what I'm trying to get at, is the identity is not so much to say that Christianity makes this, I mean, well, Christianity does, but the apostles made this an unusually important issue. I think that both would make it important, it just has to do with whether or not it's happened yet. So would you say that they made it a big deal? Let me rephrase. Would you say the apostles in the first century... Um, were disheartened and figured he was not the Messiah when he died. Temporarily, yeah. Absolutely. Road to Emmaus, that's what right. it's all about, right? I can't see this man's head. Can you move left? Can you move up? Oh, perfect. Thank you. All right. Yeah, they're bummed. Right. 
I mean, that was it. We thought he was the Messiah, but couldn't be because he died. Well, it, I, don't, I don't know. If you've spent any time in the old city of Jerusalem or parts of Brooklyn, like the Mashiachist movement, what, what it's called, the people that will go, go to you, ask you a question, and give you a pamphlet with the Rebbe's face and the word Mashiach under it. Yeah. He's obviously dead, but they obviously yeah. still acknowledge him as King Mashiach, like literally. Right. And I, I always view that's what... Same kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, if, if you were in the old city 2,000 years ago, perhaps it, it might have been something similar where it was just a, a, a apostle of Yeshua that was handing out yeah, you know, but, but 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 we do have the you know the road to Emmaus where these guys are bombed and they thought he was the Messiah and evidently they were wrong is the implication. Yeah. Right, so, and the resurrection is the clincher because Paul makes that point that basically if he hadn't have resurrected, none of this is true. First Corinthians fifteen, if there was no resurrection, we're most to be pitied. And Romans chapter one emphasizes resurrection as the seal, the stamp of approval that this guy is the Messiah. Right. Right. So to that respect, we can agree with Rambam that he can't stay dead. Okay. Is there anywhere in the Tanakh that says anything about Mashiach dying and resurrecting? Um, uh, the thing is, obviously, I think as we've tried to discuss multiple times to this class, everything in the Tanakh about Mashiach is really up to interpretation. There's not very, there's very little if anything, that's explicit. And so most of it is interpret, interpreting. I'm curious, I didn't see a, re- a reference from Rambam as to why he argued that Messiah cannot die at all. I didn't, one of you guys may know more than I do on that topic. Um, <clears throat> but in, obviously, Isaiah 53, talks about death and resurrection. Judaism does, at least the, my art scroll commentary on Zechariah, recognizes that the, the Zechariah 12 reference to the whom they have pierced is talking about they say Joseph uh, Messiah ben Yosef who dies so that is a reference again to some sort of pain or death or something right. so there's definitely seems to be some elements that you could interpret as referring to Messiah dying obviously that's why if you have but if you create the two Messiah thing where you have Messiah 1a and then Messiah 1b who's really the Messiah then you can get around the Messiah doesn't die, but this guy does. You know, there's ways to manipulate the facts mm-hmm. or the text. All right, well, to to um, piggyback off of that, I had learned that, that um, Mashiach ben Yosef dies, and he's the first person that Mashiach ben David actually resurrects, and, uh, and his, his is the first of all the resurrections. So, uh, I think that's it, what Taylor was saying last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that he desi- dies at the beginning of the, the war right. and so forth. And I believe that's straight out of a of Midrash Rubah, I believe. But that, I mean, that was what I learned, and that's what, uh, as far as the way I, I saw it, that's, that is the way it happens. Like, so uh, so there, there is no problem with Mashiach mis- with being a set guy, but there are two different individuals. This is Greg. Um, I, one thing that I found a little interesting, um, I'm about a third of the way through a book called Mashiach, Who, What, Why, How, Where, and When. It's a Breslau book. Love publication. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the book didn't arrive before my floor trip because I was hoping to read the whole thing last week. But um, anyway, uh, but one section that I've read as it pertains to Messiah ben Yosef versus Messiah ben David, um, at least from the perspective of this Orthodox Breslov author. He really looks at it more as 
not really literally two different people. He, he really he, he really describes them more as two aspects, two different aspects of Messiah. So that was one thing that I found um, somewhat new was that uh, there's really not a lot of perspective about this is literally two different men, but it's more of a spiritual concept of, of these are um, Ben Yosef versus Ben David represents two two um, two two concepts about Mashiach. So I, I found I found that interesting. That is cool. That's good. Cool. Is that that's Mashiach? Who, what, why, and when? Who, what, where, and why? Yeah, Mashiach, who, what, why, how, where, when. Who, what, why, when, um, where, what. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Five W's. Where, when. That's, where when. when. That's it. We got it. Okay. W-W-W-W-J-D. Right. <laughs> You're next, and then uh, Colby. That, Mr. Upham, that was a perfect tag team, because I literally pulled up this uh, this really cool quote. Again, though, this like all comes back to, like, you know, this is like one random reference from, like, an Orthodox person, but Rabbi Chaim Vidal the autobiography about him was the book of visions and it, it actually is like the literal quote that Mr. Evan just said it says that he explains that Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David are only terms reflecting two aspects of a single man so he was like one of the foremost students of Rabbi Isaac Luria very Kabbalistic but very much orthodox and still confirmed that view that it's just two okay. aspects describing one man. Okay. All right, well, stand by. Go ahead. When Mr. Lancaster is here, I was talking to him about the subject, mm-hmm. and I was like, telling him, like, Judaism has an answer for everything. He was like, yeah, you're right. I was like, what about this? He's like, yeah, they're right. I was like, what about this? He's like, yeah, they're right. I was like, well, Judaism says this. He's like, yeah, they're right. And I was, so I was talking, I was like, so where does like Yeshua fit into this? And he says, well, that's what makes us believers, is we believe when Messiah comes, he said Yeshua is not Messiah, because Messiah means anointed one, so they plus speak will see he's not anointed yet. So therefore, what makes us believers is we believe when Messiah comes, he will be Yeshua. And I was talking about like, well, like the sages say like Messiah bin Yosef, dies, like in the war of Gog and Magog, very end, and then is resurrected by Messiah ben David. He was like, yeah, like, huh, that's, that's true. So yeah, I was asked, well, where does Yeshua fit into that? And he was, it was just amazingly consistent answers, and it was just, he was incredible. Um, so he was like, the end times, all the dominoes lined up when Yeshua was on earth, and... Like, there could have been a war of Gog and Magog. Or there could have been that war, because you have the Romans. Sure. They're always looking for war. Sure. Um, and, and, the, and the Master even alluded to that. Yeah. If the time had been right, you know, and this and that, if you believed it. it yeah. So yeah. it was like, well, Yeshua was the only one who predicted the temple's destruction and things like that. Um, so he was like, Yeshua was Messiah ben Yosef if... I kind of, I'm not. I'm kind of paraphrasing now, but yeah. if that was the end times, then Yeshua is that. But since like the generation wasn't ready for Messiah because yeah. of the, what the Talmud quotes as baseless hatred, yeah. then they, everything got pushed back. Okay, I can work with that. That just answer just lined up with like that was an, an answer. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, 
That's good. So that's good. That's well, and, and th that's a good, if I can just kind of dovetail onto that idea, uh, I think that's important because, you know, one of the things that we see in the, in the Gospels is we see, you know, Yochanan coming and he's, he's preaching repentance, you know, repent, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when Yeshua, you know, uh, shows up on the scene, he's saying the same thing, right? He's saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the kingdom of heaven, so either that statement had to have been true, or in other words, it had to have been possible for the redemption to take place at that at that time. The ultimate uh, redemption. Otherwise, you know, then yeah, they're they're liars and frauds, and you know, we should totally disregard them. But we know, I mean, the, the sages, you know, are pretty clear um, about the, the whole idea of Messiah could potentially come in any generation, but if the generation is not worthy, right, then then Messiah uh, doesn't come, right? And and um, and if this if this generation is wicked and their sins, you know, are um, you know too great, or however you want to describe that, then um, then that can result in exile, right? Just like it did with um, you know the Galit Bavli, etc. And yeah. so. It, you know, if if to the extent Yeshua was the Messiah, or let's say the Messiah elect, right? Because yes, technically nobody anointed him as king uh, in the traditional sense of you know some recognized prophet pouring oil over his head, right? Um, but if he was the one in that generation that God had sent. Um, to bring the redemption, if the generation would have repented, then his statement, his 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 preaching of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, would have been a true statement. And if they didn't repent, then not only does the kingdom of heaven not come and redemption doesn't come, but for for other reasons which we don't have time to get into in this class, you know that generation. You know, uh, ultimately resulted in, you know, a denial. So it, it kind of it, it, it makes sense to me in that sense. Yeah, yeah, I get it. All right, well, let me. Uh, this is great, guys. This is great. Let me uh, read a little bit of Rambam, and uh, you just quick yay or nay. Tell me if you agree with him. In the future, the Messianic king will arise and renew the Davidic dynasty, restoring it to its initial sovereignty. He will build the temple and gather the dispersed of Israel. Yeah, Anybody yeah, got a problem with that? Absolutely. Somebody say amen, right? Amen. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, were you placing a bid, or were you just picking at the eyeball? I'm just checking. Just, just constantly. Uh, then, in his days, the observance of all the statutes returned to their previous state, we will offer sacrifices, observe the sabbatical and jubilee years according to all the particulars as described by the Torah. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. I just hope that, you know, there's a side door that some Gentiles can get in at that <laughs> point. Now, this, uh, this one, 
This one rung my bell. Anyone who does not believe in him or does not await his coming denies not only the statements of the other prophets, but those of the Torah and Moses are teaching. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds like Yeshua, what he said. Precisely. And, well, then you need to define, like, what does he mean when he says you have to believe in him? Right. Because everyone keeps acknowledging that Judaism doesn't really place a lot of emphasis on Messiah. No, on the identity of Messiah. Yeah, well, this this is like how many years later that we have like texts actually written down about Messiah. There's just not. I mean, everyone acknowledges that there isn't a whole lot written down about him from Judaism as a whole. And I've been listening in. Well, do you do you think? Yeah, he was a big deal to them. It's like the first question you get asked when you die: Did you do business faithfully, and did you wait for Messiah every day? Okay, that's that's good. That's big. That's the first question when he died. I didn't know there was a list. Nobody gave me the list. I think it's, I think it's a pretty big idea, but it doesn't get more past the idea phase. Um, I mean, that's when like the whole idea of Messiah is an idea that you believe in, that you wait for, and then if you're religious, you actually try to, you know, you hasten his coming. Right. But it's always that you always you always believe in the idea. But, uh, this doesn't say, if, you know, anyone who doesn't believe in the idea of Messiah. This this says anyone who does not believe in him. Right, but I'm saying that's synonymous. To believe in him, that is Messiah, is to believe in the idea of Messiah. So do you think that that's what Yeshua would say? Um, I, good question. I think Yeshua makes it more, it's more specific, for sure. Okay. So I guess... What? <clears throat> I, I mean, I think that sort of gets back to one of the earlier comments about you know, does identity matter? And I think identity does matter if and when the Messiah is revealed. No, I, mean, I, I couldn't if agree the more. Messiah reveals himself. I couldn't agree more with that, Greg, but let me ask you this. Yeah. Does identity matter that much if he's not here? I get that that he was raised. I get that. But he also left. Which, right now, as far as I'm concerned, and this may sound heretical, is as good as being dead. So is there much difference between Yeshua being dead, dying and being raised, and leaving, and, who would we say, Schneerson? Schneerson dying. If the Messiah comes, and it happens to be Schneerson, we change the bumper stickers. If it's Yeshua... Okay, we were on the winning side, if you will. Great. But does it matter right now? I think it does because there was hundreds of witnesses that seen him okay. after he rose. I get that. But does it matter if you didn't, if you weren't an eyewitness and you didn't speak to an eyewitness and it's been 2,000 years, is it that, is his personal identity that important or are we agreeing more with anyone who does not believe in him or does not await his coming denies absolutely it believes it if, if you're just in a court of law and you have eyewitnesses you're and if you're guilty I get sorry that. if you got done. the eyewitnesses yeah. If you have the eyewitness. There's historical documentation. Throw the, throw the Bible away. There's documentation that speaks of now they're saying he's alive. 
next week I'll bring... I'm not arguing the historical fact of the resurrection. I'm arguing the fact that we're 2,000 years later and some may not consider those documents reliable. All I'm asking is, does it matter? They're dead, so they can't be held in a court of law. Therefore, you're still believing in some text. Right. I think it does matter, though. And this goes back to my comment last week, um, pulling up Deuteronomy 18. Because Deuteronomy 18, as as I mentioned then, is not about... It doesn't emphasize that you should know the prophet that's coming after Moses and know who he is and know what his dad's name is and all that stuff. Because it's not about a creed and it's not about a belief system. However, it does emphasize the importance of acknowledging the prophet and listening to what he says, specifically listening to what he says. Mm -hmm. So I do see, as this class I think has really re-energized me to say, I think Pete raised the question, what does it matter if Yeshua is the Messiah? How does it affect your life? What does it do? And I've realized that it really should. It needs to impact me. I need to know what my master said. I need to know the halakha that he instructed us to follow. I need to pray the way that he caused he led us to pray. I need to do the things that he would do. And I think, to be honest with you, for in the, the same hand- way that the the Habadniks, right? Well, the handful. The, I mean, yeah. the, the number Not who all, still yeah, believe yeah, in Shneerson is much smaller. Right. But yes, indeed, they would also probably have a very similar system. They're going to want to talk about him potentially if it comes up for right. sure. Right. They're going to want to talk. They're going to do the things that he said to do. They're going to read the works that he wrote. So, and they're going to listen to the people who he trained. But he could not change the Torah, and he could not add or take away from the Torah. So, aside from from some halakhic things that may not even apply anymore because of the way we dress or whatnot, you're talking about, I guess, the way I talk to people and the way I pray, perhaps. No, 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 no. no. Yeshua's comments are... um, I mean, I'm listening right now. I think I mentioned this before. I'm trying to, to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And... We're talking extensive discussion on, on daily practice. Talk about Musar. I mean, wow, huge, heavy stuff. Yeah. And um, to your point, you mentioned Why? that, the, that the, the sin of baseless hatred was considered to be the sin that prevented Mashiach from being apparent in the first century. And that is one of the things that Yeshua hits on over and over and over that, again. That was and apparent, specifically, not apparent. Right, yeah. <laughs> and he specifically says... For those of um, you he specifically says that he equivocates that with murder. I mean, in in, uh, in Matthew. So, and then on top of that, he's he's attacking the symptoms of that True. throughout yeah. his entire ministry. So I, get I see him as very relevant yeah, to my I, life today. I, All right, go ahead, go ahead. I would I would say that I would say that Yeshua, at least you know what we have recorded in the in the five or in the in the four gospels, is he he has very little to say, in my view, about halakha. In fact. He basically says, you know, do what the Pharisees do um, with respect to halakha. Do what they say. But he has a lot to say on the the Musar, right? The inner the inner Torah, the the the, the character development, you know, those those things that ultimately, yeah. um, if you don't have your Torah, your Torah observe your your observance of mitzvot is going to be lacking if you don't have. The, um, the inner character and the inner ethics, um, etc., um, that really can really transform true. your life and your walk with Hashem. And that was really what I, I see as the focus of his teachings, which 
um, to me that uh, I see that as I'm as I read the the, the orthodox descriptions of what Messiah will do that is chief among them other than the other couple big things like rebuild the temple and gather in the, the exiles but one of the big things is you know he will um, rectify uh, he will bring rectification to sinners and to those who are lacking that inner uh, fortitude that results you know that results in a really deep relationship with Hashem that is that is the uh, one of the uh, arts that uh, you know that Messiah brings is the ability to draw people and draw their draw the best of their character you know out of them and, and draw them closer to Hashem mm. in the process mm-hmm. that is yep. a key function uh, um, of Messiah um, okay. I think going back to the previous comment about um, you know does it matter if you you know if you weren't an eyewitness and all the eyewitnesses are now long since dead and you know and, and maybe you know maybe maybe you you're skeptical about whatever documents are available etc etc I I spent a lot of time thinking about that a couple of years ago in where my current view is, and this this kind of jumped out at me um, two years ago, going through the Torah cycle, because when we got to um, to the Book of Numbers and we're reading about the the spies, and the spies, um, you know, they go they they send the spies in and they come back and the ten have the evil report and the two have the good report, and if you go back and read the account, Hashem becomes furious, and he he pulls he pulls Mo aside, and he says, "Look, Mo, you know this is it. You know, how long will these people see my wonders and see my works and yet refuse to believe?" Exactly. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to kill them all, and I'm going to start over with you. Um, and of course Moses, because he's also obviously a picture of Messiah, intercedes and convinces God to not do that. And so God says, "Okay, fine, I won't kill him. So here's what we're going to do instead: you're going to turn around, you're going to march back out into the wilderness, and you're going to walk around in circles for 40 years until they all drop dead, because none of them are worthy to enter into the promise." What were they? Why were they not worthy? The thing that jumped out at me two years ago was they weren't worthy because this was the same group of people that saw the plagues fall on Egypt, that saw, you know, the sea split. They walked across the sea on dry ground. They saw, you know, the bitter water turn sweet. They saw water flow from the rock. They saw the manna. They saw God come down on the mountain. They saw all of these incredible, wondrous things with their own eyes. And yet, here we are ready to go into the promised land and, and we're doubting whether God will be with us to, to conquer the, the Canaanites. And, and the thing that jumped out at me was God, the thing that God had such heartburn over was how long will they continue to see my works and yet refuse to believe? 
So to me, there was something jumped out at me that says, okay, you know, if you see, you know, if you see the sea split in front of you with your very own eyes, you know, come on, what, 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 what shred of doubt should remain? And and right? uh, and the master and, said the same thing to John the Baptist. He said when he questioned. Tell him what you know. What do you see? The blind, the blind, the blind, the blind see the lame walk. Oh man, yeah. Well, and and Yeshua, uh, and I think also somewhere else in 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 one of the epistles, um, I can't remember. I can't remember where off the top of my head, but it compares the generation of Yeshua to the generation in the wilderness. They're both described as wicked. And the only connection I could make to that was, well, okay, the generation in the wilderness saw the mighty works of Hashem with their own eyes and yet still doubted. The generation of Yeshua saw him, you know, uh, perform miracle after miracle, saw him, you know, heard his teaching, saw that he was, you know, he was bringing people back to Torah, he was bringing people back to Hashem, you know, saw that he was righteous, all, all of these things they saw and yet they refused to believe or certainly you know, certainly some of the, the leadership of the of the Jewish people you know, refused to acknowledge it for lots of reasons you know, obviously you know, they were corrupt and they were kind of protecting their own positions of power and whatever, but nevertheless they saw and yet and they refused to believe. And, and what was interesting to me as I looked at the parallel was um, the generation that could have entered the promise and yet re refused to believe God after having seen and witnessed all, all, of, all that he did, they had to wander for 40 years until they died. And the generation that saw Yeshua, saw the miracles he did, saw his righteousness, etc., etc., even had, you know, hundreds of, of, of eyewitnesses um, testifying to, uh, you know, the resurrection and the 500, you know, graves that opened up, you know, after he arose, you know, uh, all of that. They refused to believe, and so the kingdom of heaven didn't come, and the clock started ticking, and 40 years um, almost to the day the the temple is destroyed and thus begins you know the current galut yeah. right so to me those parallels um, are extremely striking but the difference is those generations saw with their own eyes and refused to believe in fact when Yeshua, after the resurrection, appears to doubting Thomas, right? Because Thomas said, "Unless I see, right? Unless I touch his nail-scarred hands and all yeah. that, you know, myself, I'm not, you know, I won't believe it." Voila! Yeshua walks in the room, here's, you know, shows him his his hand, shows him his side, and then and Thomas believes. And what did Yeshua say? He said, "He said, Thomas, you're blessed because you see and believe." More blessed. But, you know. Uh, more blessed are those who don't see and believe. So as I kind of looked at that and, 
in comparing it to the to the generation in the wilderness, what I saw was some categories, right? You have those who see the works of God and believe that's good. You have those who don't see the works of God and yet still believe that's gooder. Because. You have those who see the works of God and refuse to believe that's really bad which means there's this fourth category which is those who have not seen and therefore because they haven't seen they don't believe and to me that's the, that category there uh, is perhaps where you know some of Judaism uh, you know ha has landed so it's obviously better that if they believe and don't if they haven't seen and still believe I mean obviously we all agree that they're you know they are waiting for Messiah whoever he is right, right. but to the extent that Messiah or Messiah elect is Yeshua if they haven't seen that and I, I, I have a lot of ideas that I think I could back with scripture as well as history to explain why they haven't seen that but to the extent they haven't seen that and, and because they haven't seen they haven't believed I think that does put them in an interesting category I agree that's my that's kind of my current view I agree. all right I get Colby then I get at least Taylor and probably just Taylor but I think another one just came in also Taylor also, Taylor, and, I think uh, and then Pete. So, Colby, you're first. I was going to go back to Yeshua's teachings on Musar. Um, one, I would say, like Yeshua's teachings will say certain amount. It's like five chapters, four chapters, two chapters, whatever it is. Like, there's so there's stuff in there that says, like, if you are angry at your brother, like, just as like in depth as murdering him um, I wouldn't say like Yeshua has in-depth teachings on Musar because that's only two lines like we want in-depth teachings on Musar we have to go to the sages um, we have to go to like Nesilev Yeshua like, that was way deeper than anything in Matthew I've ever read in my entire life so and then we would say like if, if we want to play the Yeshua is my Rebbe thing like we wouldn't have been disciples of Yeshua he never hung out with Gentiles if we say somebody's my Rebbe, and we pull a New Testament author, we have to say Paul, and then we base all of our halakhics on Paul's teachings. Because if we base all of our, if we say Yeshua's my Rebbe, then you say, Yeshua said, do what the Pharisees say, so our authority is already placed under Talmud and under Israel. So the only person we could ever say is my Rebbe is Paul, and then we have to base everything on his writings. Because then we bring in Acts 15, because Yeshua well, never says so, 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 so. I don't think anybody wants to say that Paul is the Rebbe, and it really we doesn't matter. Disciples of Yeshua. Yeah, I don't agree with that at all. I, I, I am a disciple of Yeshua right now, I'm doing the best I can. Um, but clearly, Paul said, "Follow me as I follow Yeshua." It was the classic rabbinic model of following in the steps of your teacher and your teacher's teacher and your teacher's teacher's teacher. So, but I don't know that it gets gets us back here any further to to work work down that road. But my um, only I, I see it. 
My thing, only thing with the identity of Meshua is as identifying on that, it by default separates you from Judaism. Well, that's not a correct statement because he was Jewish and there were Jewish believers. They were a temple sect. That's a known historical fact. today, believing well, Yeshua by default separates you from Judaism. Only because Judaism separates itself from Yeshua, some of them. But there are Orthodox Jews that believe in him. So... Not all of Judaism doesn't believe in him. It's not monolithic. Well, yeah, it's it's, it all based, it's, it's based on your, your perspective because you could say that not, no Orthodox Jew believes in Yeshua. That's because you're, by definition, you're saying someone that is Orthodox can't. So it's like... Um, Which is not true because there are Orthodox Jews that believe in Yeshua. Well, I'm Jewish. just saying... You can probably but, find an Orthodox Jew who does like some Buddha stuff in India too. And then, then, then you got all the people in India be like, no, Orthodox, sure. North, I know an Orthodox Jew does this. By default, it's okay for me to do this. Sure. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's the perspective that's, that would dictate that. Because you could, a lot of scientists say there's not one, one legitimate scientist that is a creationist. So why is that? Because they discount any creationist as a scientist. I mean, so it just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. It's the perspective that's yeah. illogical. You know, you can't say any Orthodox Jew it doesn't believe in Yeshua because, by definition, they're not allowed to. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah, that's so good. That's, that's part a good of point. It too. That's yeah. a good point. All right, so uh, throw in a couple of tailors, or at least one. Give him one shot now, and then Peter, and then we can come back to him. The uh, okay, one one is kind of like a comment in a question, and then I'll, uh, I'll the other one is a question. So Taylor said, "Did, did I hear a couple times that?" because a small group of Jews still believe Schneerson is Mashiach, that therefore it's okay to believe in Yeshua. That was the first thing. And then the, uh, the second thing was saying that, like, there's been a couple rabbis quoted, and we are using the rabbis to point, point to Yeshua, in which case, and then he was saying, like, you know, basically, if you can't really do that because... If the sages who actually wrote those things down that were using to point to Yeshua opposed Yeshua, like the church, Christianity, and the New Testament, then they couldn't have been writing about him. So we're just misinterpreting basically but, but what we don't know. We don't they, know. Yeah, they could have been and one. Um, the sages are are uh, by and large silent on the, the person of Yeshua. So you know, you can't. To assume that we know they did or didn't believe or didn't, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's well, a stretch. If I can put it, I mean, uh, in that case, you would have know, to discount scripture when it's uh, quoting. Really, you know, what, all, all we know is what they wrote. And right. most of the writings of the sages say nothing about the person of Yeshua. Right. What were you going to say? Well, not, not, not every. Uh, person who's quoted in, in Tanakh, for example, knew exactly what they were prophesying about, what they were talking about, or necessarily believed it. Oh, that's a good but, point. But, but there, th 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 doesn't mean the intention of the person who came up with the thought would be actual interpretation. Of the yeah. If we're starting with a Jewish sect, if we're starting with a sect of Judaism, it doesn't seem to me to make any difference right now, 2,000 years later, that Judaism rejects Yeshua. To me, that's while that, that is true, a large portion, even all of uh, statistically Judaism could reject Yeshua, but it doesn't make it any less Jewish to believe in Yeshua if his original followers were all Jewish. 
it was a Jewish temple sect, and that's undeniable. So, while while it's true there are people that believe now, and while it's true there's people that don't believe now, it really has doesn't well, matter one way or the other. See how believing in Yeshua connects you with Judaism. Well, it brought us all here. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Judaism. Like, He's Jewish. Yeah. But I think we're all proof of that. Yeah, but I'm the saying, like, by believing in Yeshua, like, we default can't go pray. It's like, we don't go, we're not invited to, like, pray. The fact that we're not invited is irrelevant. Because at, at the end of the day, that's it really true. Really not, and that bothers a lot of people that we're not accepted. Not. Yeah. Go ahead, Pete. Did you have some questions? That was what the tapes. Um, I was just trying to get back to the original thing Joshua was talking about if it matters the belief matters um, you mentioned that it would change your walk maybe or what you studied or what you talked about which would all be true for just a student rabbi connection mm-hmm. um, not really relevant in a person to messiah connection um, I'm wondering, or even perhaps a place in the world to come. I'm wondering, actually, that if uh, if you believe that it affects your place in the world to come, and if it does, does it affect other people's place in the world to come? I would think if it was necessary for a place in the world to come, then you would be sharing it with everybody. Um, you say a lot of people ask you about your faith and stuff, but I think mostly you're responding with Torah stuff versus. Like, let me tell you about Mashiach, because that's the most important thing that changed my life. So does it, my, my question is, does it actually matter um, with, with any real consequence? The stuff you, you described doesn't have any consequence if, if I don't learn uh, the Sermon on the Mount and stuff like that. But there's, do, is there any things that it affects that have consequence? I think it does. Um, but that being said, I want to take a half step back here and just say that I don't know that I can definitively say that I understand how it matters. Because, as we were just, as, as Mr. Um, Rob Upam was just describing here, I think the idea, the question of what to do, or how to, or rather not what to do with, that's not my, well, that's my point. What to do with Orthodox Jews who don't see Yeshua but keep everything else or looking for the Messiah, totally believe in Hashem, all that stuff. It's like, to me, it's like that's really up to God. That's not my question to answer. And they, you know, they don't, they don't see him. They weren't there. The the Jesus that they represented, I agree with Rambam. The Jesus of Christianity cannot be the Messiah. Agreed. The Jesus of Christianity rejects the Jewish people, picks a new people, and throws out the Torah. Clearly, he cannot be the Messiah. So Rambam's right to reject that Jesus as Messiah. As so, we do. As we do. So I don't. In fact, that Jesus didn't even exist. He's fictitious. He's not even real. So the point that I'm trying to get at is, I do believe it matters. Um, the relevance of how it matters in terms of who doesn't believe, I think is something that I have to kind of leave in God's hands. I think it's relevant. I don't know exactly how God handles that. I don't pretend to know. Maybe God has a conversation with Jews at the entrance of the world to come and says, hey, by the way, you might want to know this piece of information. Hey, I wasn't talking about Jews. I'm talking about the world in general. Right. And like your coworkers. You're right. And you, to your point, you know what? I haven't done a good job of that. Well, but it is important then. That yes. they know the Mashiach. Yeah, it is. Just as important as that they know God. Because it seems like that's in the New Testament pretty strongly. Sure. The, like the spreading of the message. Within context, the context of our culture is the inverse. So they're, they're you know, immersed in, in Jesus, 
So Christian, and we know yeah. that Yeshua is intrinsic. Well, we believe that you know he's intrinsic with the Torah. I mean, the two are inseparable. So we're giving them what they need, you know, which is the Torah to to so give them the written to, Torah to lead them to the living. Torah. Right, because that's the only way. Because they only know Jesus. They don't know the Torah like that. Like and even with the pagans, I would follow along, along those lines and say that their perspective is totally skewed. They see no God. And presenting this other random character who gives something they don't even need is irrelevant. So I feel like, um, as an entrance level discussion, I see the Torah as very accessible because it's kind of a cultural thing. I mean, technically, I'm not pushing Torah on them either. I'm also not telling them, hey, yeah, you should keep Shabbat. It's more like, this is really cool. I do it, you know. And this is why, you know, what a great God to give us that. And then, um, but yeah, to your point, I maybe I probably should be a little more looking for opportunities. But I don't necessarily know um, how much more. I mean, again, like to your point, it is like a it's a multi level conversation. Most of Paul's conversations are started off in the synagogues, or they were held in marketplaces where philosophy was openly discussed. So it's a relevant conversation. These are Jews or Gentiles who attend synagogue who are God fearers who already know Judaism, who are already looking for Messiah, and Paul is saying that guy is the Messiah. This is really important. You should know that. So he has, a, he has a conversation that's already started. Whereas if I'm talking to Joe Schmo on the street corner, or John, uh, you know, as I'm walking John, up to work, John, and he stops me because he wants to know about my kippa, um, we're probably not going to be able to really get very far into the conversation before he loses interest and I'm wasting my time. So it's kind of like one of those things where it is a little bit different. But to your point, yeah, I should probably be more open to opportunities well, to say something. Well, I think, uh, Peter, I think it's, it's, it's a good point you bring that the, the purpose is here and the, and the New Testament is to spread a message. But I was wondering if we kind of misinterpreted the, what the message was. But was it, was it necessarily a message of you know, believing in Jesus? Or was it more of like a message to pagans that you should believe in Hashem via and, and, and because of the first temple sect believers, Yeshua was that much more tangible. That's that's the way it was expressed when they wrote letters. Is Do you think, would you accept that as a possible interpretation? Absolutely. Okay. Because well, the point that Noah makes is, is phenomenal, but contextually the, the, the message was being sent to a completely different crowd of people than what we have in the Western world America exactly. today. Exactly. So, so it is like a little bit of apples and oranges. Yeah. Well, can I just comment on Noah's point? Sure. Um, because you made it, and I, I do the same thing as making a separation between how we would present ourselves to Christians versus pagans or even Jews, because Christians already believe in Jesus, but don't have Torah. Well, Jews have Torah, but they don't believe in Jesus. But um, it's just been kind of kind of laid down that the Christian Jesus is a, is a false Messiah, and that the way they believe in him is, is wrong. And then you believe that that's not the Messiah. And Rambam is right. So, shouldn't we be witnessing to Christians then, um, like to, to get them to believe in Mashiach too? I would say. But also with Torah, because if you tell them about this guy Yeshua that lived two thousand years ago and keep talking, they're going to be like, "Oh yeah, that's I know him. He's Jesus." Right. 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 Well, I think you raise a good point, son. That is there. Is there? And I don't, I don't mean to bash the visible representation of the church, but I'm going to relish this for the next 30 seconds. Anyway, um, is there really much difference in the general church population 
between the pagans and them believing in a false messiah. That's that's a for for a lot of of church goers that's there's very little difference because there's no discernible difference in their life. There may be in their speech, but not in their life. To that to the end of my question, I w- I would say the conclusion is more that um, there's a spattering of interpretations on Jesus' personality within the different denominations of Christendom. And Messianic faith is another interpretation, which I think we would say is the right one, that he's a Jewish uh, rabbi and a messiah and stuff like that. Um, But it boils down to that it doesn't look like the name matters as much as the person matters. Because if you would say that the Christian interpretation of Messiah is false, then you're saying that even though they have the name right, they don't have the person right. And they would say that all the other denominations, or most of the weird fringe ones, who still believe in Jesus, are actually all heretics because they believe in a different kind of Jesus, like the Jesus of the Bible. So they got the name right, but they got the person right. Exactly. So really, it seems like it's the person that's the biggest deal to Christianity. Like, actually, this is... And so really, it boils down to where do we get this idea that we have to... We have to have this information, like this knowledge of the um, the correct um, historical picture of the man. That's that's what it boils down to. Is everyone thinks they have a different, correct historical interpretation of the man, mm. and they all call each other heretics. Yeah, it's a good group of people, isn't it? Well, we're among them because we just did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I think that, for one thing, again, I think it comes back to the idea of, does it matter to recognize Messiah at all? Well, and that, well, like, well hang on a second, because I was going to, my next question was going to be, doesn't Judaism teach that we should be able to recognize the Mashiach? Doesn't the Torah teach that? I don't think I can answer Pete's question. Like, the, like where does the concept go of, okay, now it's important to, to find the person? I think it's, it's really only becomes important when you think you found the person. Right. I mean, like, uh, Rabbi Akiva, I think it could be a good example as well as others. Who that, went, like, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter in, until, until, he you think you got the guy. Shows, until he shows up. Then it really matters, according to Deuteronomy 18. So does it not matter before he shows up? Obey him, Hashem will extract it, you know, exact it from them, right? So there is a consequence, according to Deuteronomy 18, for when, whoever he is, whenever he reveals himself, and you become aware of that information, at that point in time, you know, he's a king. And you, you either recognize his loyalty and his position, and you are obedient, or not. But since he can't add any commands, being obedient covers all Orthodox Jews today anyway. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, hang on one second. Hang on, hang on one second, Greg. I hear what you're saying, but Orthodox Judaism also is clear in saying that one of the things Mashiach will do 
is to clarify all of uh, t- to clarify uh, Torah beyond the understanding that we all have today, right. including Orthodox Judaism. Sure. So, yeah. you know, Messiah being, you know, being descending from the highest level of the of the Sefirot brings down the highest level of the light of Hashem and distills it so that all of us common folks can actually absorb it. And one of the things that he will do, according to Judaism, is he will bring to light and reveal aspects and secrets and other things about the Torah that, you know, we haven't even contemplated yet and or don't have completely right. Yeah, I get it. So, so to the extent you believe Orthodox Judaism's view on that, then, you know, he will set straight halakha that may be a little off here or there or maybe way off here or there. He will clarify, you know, uh, requirements for this, you know, Group or that group, or this sure. That group. But but One again, he'll do is he that will be when he gets here. Every Jew to their original tribe, right? Right. But so, that but that will be when he gets here. Right. But that's what but I guess what I'm saying is, if you believe when when he, whoever he is, whenever he, um, uh, reveals himself and takes up that that position it, it has to matter otherwise what's the point right I, I think we all agree with that I think uh, it was important to him to Yeshua what was to recognize who he was I mean at different times he said I am he right who do you who do you who do they say I am some say uh, mm-hmm. John the Baptist, Rose, Elijah, the prophet. Mary, who, who do you say? You are Mashiach, the Son of God. And it, and, and the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. I, I'm so, just wondering about now. That's well, all. I think. But let's. Well, we got to move on, or we're not going to get anything done. You had something. What are you wondering about now? I was wondering what your question was. Uh, I it, I don't know how related it was to everything that was just said because that was were really you, good. Were you snoozing again? And no, I feel very uh, good just absorbing. I was just one of the things that kind of came up was just how you deal with your relationship to Messiah and other people and like who you assign as heretics, who you assign as like okay they have the truth and all that. And I guess one of the I was just thinking of how do we simplify that to where I could explain that to my daughter and like I feel like. With whether you call it Pony two different people or two bad. different comings or <laughs> however you want to explain like the two different aspects of Messiah, definitely seems like the Messiah understanding right now is much more personal than it is national. And when you start trying to think of it in a national sense, it's when you start trying to assign to certain groups of people like, oh, they have that wrong. Or, oh, well, they're, they're all heretics. Or, it's like very collective thought regarding Messiah. But then when you think about it in a very personal way, like... I specifically have read these teachings. I specifically agree with what they say and believe that they line up with Scripture. Therefore, what am I going to do? And not and like to Joshua's point, like not even worry about it. I don't. 
I don't care if you're saved or not. It doesn't really matter right now because I'm kind of focused on what am I supposed to do with this, you know? And I feel like Yeshua's covert manner in a lot of cases that we read about where he's like, oh, don't, don't really tell that I'm don't coming. Don't tell anybody. You know, like, that, that just, it gives that really personal feel to it, you know? an intimate 12 group of guys like what was that about shouldn't it have been the entire world like but it was all supposed to it just feels so personal so intimate like the understanding of Mashiach right now mm-hmm. um, and so I feel like that's a simple way to kind of describe the importance of Messiah's identity and the importance of what even to Rambam's point like what does it mean to believe what does belief look like is there a holocaust surrounding belief like what, what does that even mean you know like that's all like for me specifically, and it's it would just be it, it gets so sticky and really hard to start saying like okay well, everything that I just determined for me now has to apply to everyone else, or I'm going to assign a label to yeah. you. Yeah, maybe I'm just old, but when I read believe that my belief that I have faith that I believe it should change something it should be evident it should be different than before i believed and for me it is my life is nothing like what it used to be and i do things and don't do things according to my belief and it's according to what hashem said and the more and more we are in this walk the more and more i spend time in the front end of the book learning what yeshua pointed us all to which was the Torah, that I would walk according to his ways and that I would do what Hashem said to do. And in so doing, others would marvel and want to know my God. Boom. Simple. And I don't see a whole lot in the, in the Tanakh, let's just stick to the Torah, that tells me that when I do these things, it will demonstrate the Mashiach to them. Yeah, well, that's that actually kind of brings up sort of a, an interesting point regarding like the personal nature of it. Like, what is it, what is it that they're marveling at? Because if it's just Torah observance, like, well, there's hundreds of thousands of people that all like keep the Torah. I mean, you just you look at a bunch of Orthodox Jews, and it's not like people are just walking by and going, "Wow, I'm marveling at the fact that they're keeping Torah." In fact, in Yerushalayim, that's like it's pretty much standard. You you wouldn't be surprised by that at all. And, but then the aspects that people do marvel at is like when you see like one of those guys who's like super joyful all the time, one of those guys that's like renowned, world renowned for charity, you know, and you can or probably, they, of course, to how each they guy. Right, sure. And which points back to what Yeshua said, like, how will you know my disciples by the love that they have sure. for one another? which, you know, back to the beginning. But yeah, it's like, I feel like it's those things that Mashiach kind of do, does, the, the, our belief in Yeshua, or in Mashiach does, is like, it adds that extra layer to the Torah observance. Really? That makes people marvel, and like it, it kind of rejuvenates. Like, because I mean, I, throughout I, the history of Judaism, there's been movements that have like shaken things up. Because yeah. Torah observance and halakha, in and of itself, is it, it has the tendency to flatten out, and sure. then there's like something that really spikes it. Yeah, and the balsam to exactly sure. And so, but still, their focus is on the relationship with God. Exactly. So I, I see the, the Mashiach being minimized yet again. Well, I think one reason why Mashiach and preaching Mashiach, it's so emphasized by Paul specifically, 
is because with the exception of the book of Hebrews and the book of James, basically, the entire rest of the epistles, Paul and Peter and John, are all written to Gentiles. Right. Now, one of the issues that Colby brought up, which is a very valid point, is you and I are not Jewish. By default, we're not in the group. So Yeshua and Mashiach becomes crucial in the theological understanding that... Um, that we hold to from the apostolic scriptures, which says that that is how we get to be part of the group. And I submit to you that if it's only in the apostolic scriptures, it is not the truth. Well, no, it starts with Abraham, and it Absolutely. starts with the others around him. Right. It's with Ruth and others. But my point is that we get, we flesh it out. We, 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 the discussions on that by Paul are all going back to Abraham. They're all pulling from the Torah. They're all pulling from the Tanakh. But the point that I'm trying to say is that Again, it is something of an interpretation. I mean, the, the Tanakh doesn't lay out a lot of detail on what to do with Gentiles. It basically says, they want to keep it? Cool, let them keep it. You know? And in and some cases, it, it says they must do exactly the same thing. If they're in the land. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make any preference to in what they cases, should do for outsiders. In some cases, it doesn't even say they're in the land. Well, I mean, those who are my, among you is what my, I mean to say. My point is, I got you. My point is this. That uh, the the folks that first believed that were Gentiles did not have the apostolic writings. Right. All they had was the Torah and God. Right. What a terrible thing to leave them with. I mean, how could they get by? No, 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 no. I I agree that it's there. I'm saying that that's we see it as. Being well, but they there. also they also had an oral tradition from those from those apostles as well. And do you believe that that oral tradition was significantly different than the oral tradition that's passed down now? I would submit well, no, it's virtually I'm, I'm the same. That the, I'm saying before the gospels were written and before Paul's letters were considered, you know, part of the canon and all that, right? By Gentiles. Yes, I mean, we, I think we all agree that Yeshua and Paul and everybody taught everything they taught from the Tanakh, right? And nothing, you know, and and the oral, uh, the oral um, traditions that you know had not been written down yet. Okay, but what I'm saying is, when Paul goes out to the Gentiles and starts teaching about specifically about Yeshua, right? To the extent they didn't have, you know, what we now call the apostolic scriptures, they did have the oral, an oral tradition from Paul, from the other apostles about the events, about what had happened, the significance of it, etc. Right? All of that was being discussed before it was ultimately written down and and decided by somebody to be scripture. I. I get that. I guess what I'm, where I'm trying to, to understand is they didn't have that written word, and sh- surely, you know, we recognize that traditions don't don't form in four years, uh, or five years, or even ten. Uh, they're they're generational, and there hadn't been generations, and and I'm I'm uh, positing. That, as the book of uh, as uh, Acts chapter fifteen discusses, 
They were giving these guys the Tanakh. They were giving these guys the Torah. This is how you need to walk. This is how you need to live. So, I, I think they're, they were... But, but, but Paul also gave testimony to his Damascus Road experience, right? Absolutely. In, in his teaching of the Torah and the Tanakh to the Gentiles, he surely was also, you know, um, describing his own experiences and, and um, you know, and, and things that he had learned both from the, you know, the other... Um, apostles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I'm saying that became that was an oral understanding as it pertains to Yeshua before it was written down. That's all. That's the only point I made. Okay. Well, uh, kind of go back to the point that, that Peter made about why, why is it a, such a big deal or to have the, the person of, of of the Messiah? And I think that's even if you say, okay, fine, Yeshua. Is, not Messiah, you know, whatever. That's, that, that's not even on the radar. But yet, he's still significant because he was a Zadik, or if each, each individual person has to have a righteous conduit. And if he is that to you, then he is significant in that case. So okay, perhaps we sure. can, So perhaps we're kind of, um, or people are kind of bleeding those two, saying, and, and, and they're overemphasizing Yeshua for the wrong reason. Not, sure. not necessarily because he was Mashiach, but because right. he's their personal... And, and I think that's where Paul was coming from. So that they would understand their tzaddik, their rebbe, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I can work with that. But I think, back to Peter's point, you know, if today you got a different tzaddik, mm-hmm. and you're still waiting on Mashiach, and you fall into Greg's don't see and don't believe. You know, I realize in, in, the, in the church, it's almost heretical to say, well, that's okay. But I'm wondering, is that okay? But that's not a question that we're going to answer now. Colby. I was going to ask, is there anything as we keep reading the Rambam that we would disagree with? Well, like I was my, my plan tonight was to go through all of it real quick and say, you know, is there anything we dis- disagree with other than the line, obviously, about Yeshua or, or, who, or, Jesus, or Jesus? And I guess we would actually agree with that, too. So, um, but, but we got, uh, we got an hour and ten into it. And, Let's read some round Yeah, and, the, you know, the, the yeah. discussion is great. I just don't know if we're, if we're making any, any progress, but I, I love the discussion. Because, I mean, I feel like... A lot yeah. of us have read it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't, I don't know that I got an answer on anyone who does not believe in him or does not await on his coming denies the prophets, the Torah, and Moses. But that does go back to Rambam's principle. You believe in the coming of the Messiah. Of course it does. Rambam wrote this. <laughs> right. No, I'm saying that I think that's what he means by that. Very okay. <laughs> um. Uh, reference to Mashiach is made in the portion of Bilam who prophesies about two anointed kings the first anointed king David who saved Israel from oppressors the final anointed king who will rise from his descendants and save Israel in the end days yes sir before you go through the whole chapter I'm wondering if we are expecting or if you think there's maybe some criteria for that qualifies the Mashiach that Rambam doesn't list because that would be Christianity's big push that he, Yeshua didn't fulfill the big things like temple 
ending exile and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are some other criteria that he did fulfill, would be Christianity's perspective. And then maybe that's um, a question is if Rambam's list is exhaustive. That's a great question. I would it's, say it's not, because if you read Sanhedrin 98, which is from the Talmud, sure. it lists a whole bunch of other things that Messiah will do, does do, whatever. It's not necessarily top shelf. And I think we would, I mean, and I think we would agree that um, with the exception of, you know, atonement, whatever else, which is not a Jewish concept, traditional Jewish concept of Messiah, um, the other top shelf things besides teaching and, and leading people back to repentance, which is what Mr. Upham mentioned, mm -hmm. the other big things that Peter talked about, defeating the enemies of Israel, bringing the exiles, etc., Yeshua has not done yet. That's, that's fine. Because Judaism doesn't have a problem with saying people will be a Mashiach. Right. Right, before they do that. Right, and so it's just, and those other criteria aren't qualifiers for Mashiach. They're side points. Like anybody can go through the scriptures and find allusions to anybody, but the qualifiers for Mashiach are laid out as these big deals. Yeshua hasn't done them. We say he's going to do them in his second coming. So, and so the real thing is, Christianity says that Yeshua is Messiah now because of this list of criteria, which is differs one hundred percent from Rambam's list of criteria, and that he will fulfill Rambam's list of criteria when he comes back. So I'm just asking, is Christianity's list of criteria relevant to determine if someone's Mashiach? Judaism has a different list that they say they'll do in the second coming. Judaism has the same list, right? Not for the criteria of what Mashiach is. That's the list. Like there are take. prophecies that overlap. I mean, obviously you mentioned, like, Sanhedrin 98 talks about him riding a donkey. Yeah, no, I, I so. get that. Mm. That's, a, that's an excellent point, though. Um, I, like from like a big picture thing of your question, I kind of take issue with the Christianity's list to begin with. That drives me nuts so, when he says it. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that. That's where I'd have to work through that. But um, the the idea that the, the qualifiers, which yeah, you're not you have not earned the title of Mashiach until you've done these things, mm -hmm. is a really good point. I think that's why Daniel Lancaster is like, I, I, we can't really call what? him Mashiach because he hasn't done it. Brock, always butting in. Go ahead. Did you have one? Did I skip you? No. Okay. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you're wrong. Well, oh, you're, you're right. If I'm wrong, <laughs> yeah. no, you're, you're always right. right. You're always right. You're the right. But doesn't Ronald himself in, in this yeah, chapter say right. that they didn't have a problem believing that this one guy was was the Mashiach until yeah. it was you until, know, he died. until he died until he died until he died and they could, you know conclusively proved that he was not the Mashiach. So what, what is the well, what is the issue with saying that you should still Mashiach even if he hasn't done those things? I mean, I, I know you've said that already, but. Well, no, it's fine if someone dies. Uh -huh. You just know he wasn't the Mashiach, but he could be. Right. Like, he, wasn't, Judaism, he wasn't then. Right. He Judaism could be. has no problem with someone coming back from the dead being the Mashiach. But I feel ah. Like, yeah, it's bad. I didn't realize. Well, yeah, it's yeah, in the Talmud. It says, like, if, if, he comes, if Mashiach comes from the dead, it right. would probably be Daniel. It, right. Yes, I just read that. Yeah. Okay. So there's no problem saying Yeshua wasn't Mashiach, but he could be. Right. Because okay. he still hasn't done so, it. So, all right, no, no, no. I already asked this question and nobody gave me an answer. And we got off on an hour tangent. If we say that a guy dies, obviously he wasn't the Messiah. Well, but if he comes back, he could be the Messiah. I get that. I work with that. We then say, well, wait a second. He rose from the dead. 
Okay. But he still doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Right. So if he rose from the dead and left, if he rose from the dead and stayed and did everything, he'd be the Messiah. If he rose from the dead and left, is there any difference between him being dead? And back to my original question, is there any problem with us saying, okay, if you don't want to say he was the Messiah, he wasn't the Messiah, but he will be the Messiah when he comes. Okay, fine. Is that a problem? I didn't get an answer to that. I'm still not going to get an answer to that because we're... <laughs> he's going to butt in again. No, it's not no, I have the same question. But he will be right. And, and, yeah, but he's going to run. But my, my caveat to that is why, are we, um, why, why is it that the, the opinion that you know, he dies, he's not Messiah, but he didn't die, he, but he only, he's only going to be the Messiah when he comes back and does, the, does the specific things that, that Rambam says. If you don't do those things, you're not the Messiah. Because the Bible says if you don't do those things, you're not the Messiah. Okay. She so roll it. If you if you understand if you got this role that says you're going to do these five things just to make it easy, I got you, and you do, well none of them, and then you die, but then miraculously you rise from the dead. Could have been Lazarus. You rise from the dead, but you don't die again, but you leave. That's good. Okay. So unless, you still haven't done what it takes, right? Dying and miraculously rising from the dead is a qualifier for Messiah. Well, but it can there be a is, single qualifier for Messiah without no, like it, but, but, it, but it couldn't be, right? Because Lazarus did no, that. No, no, no. Right? Miraculously rising from the dead is different. What I'm saying is okay, he's rising from the dead. Like he's rising from the dead on your own. <laughs> right. It's a little okay, different. I, okay. okay but hey, we got a lot of people that did that. Hang on, hang on. Kobe's Hang on, hang on, hang on. Kobe's turn. I was going to answer your question. Yes. Says, I was yes. Just say yes. Like it doesn't matter. Good. I, I think so, but that's it from a and I don't want, I don't call myself a Christian. Peter calls me a Christian. Peter says I have Christian I views. I don't call him a Christian. Peter public. says that I read <laughs> Christian <laughs> books. Christian. Peter says that I'm one of the people that believes the apostolic writings are true, and therefore, since there's only one type of people group on the planet that believes that. I must be in that group. And that group is Christians. <laughs> That's right. about it. All right, back to you. And then uh, I got Greg. Right, I guess the thing I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble with is, is what it sounds like. And I'm not sure what, saying, but what it sounds like we're saying is nothing happened. You shouldn't do anything. And you still haven't done anything significant until he comes back. You may I have done something significant, but our criteria from the Shia. It is nothing that qualifies. But, 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 and that's to, to, towards Peter's point, is he's got like all the side items that come with the steak, but he still hasn't done the steak yet. Yeah, potatoes. So, really I guess I'm, I'm just having trouble with that, but we, we can... All right, well, but, but noted. And, and the, guys, that's what this whole class is about, right? We don't have to agree. We don't have to come to consensus. But at least make where you're at known... So we can come back and go, wait a second, hang on. All right, I got Greg up in first, then I got Greg Bartos, then I got Joshua Spurlock, then Kobe's going to throw in one more. All right, who, who is first? Greg, Greg, Greg up, go. Uh, Too slow. I think that, I think that uh, to the extent that uh, Yeshua was miraculously raised from the dead on the third day, um, I think that is not, I mean, I think that's absolutely significant, particularly given, given the time, the timing of how all that happened. And that he predicted. Uh, it's, one, it, it's one thing for, you know, some, some 
righteous guy to die. It's one thing for it's you know it's, it's certainly you know it's certainly not uh, inconsequential if some righteous guy dies and then is raised from the dead. Uh, but I think in the uh, chronology of Yeshua in particular, the timing and the manner of how it happened, um, aligning with the Moedim and all of that, yeah. further adds, to, in my mind, um, evidence that you can't just dismiss. Yeah, and he predicted point, point number two is, so yes, he... He rose from the dead. He didn't leave immediately. He left forty days later. But so he left. But the question remains: if he was, if he had been, um, if God had has has uh, picked Yeshua of Nazareth to be Mashiach, the question remains: why did he leave and not not do all the other things that Messiah is supposed to do? So I mean. And I, and I would argue, and I think the scripture, I think the Tanakhs would support me, and I think, I think Judaism's views would support me, that if the generation is not worthy to receive him and to receive the kingdom, it's not going to happen. And, and that would be an argument as to why he left and didn't complete all those other tasks, not because he wasn't. Um, in a position to do it or capable of doing it, but because the generation was not ready to receive it. Got it. That's good. That's good. Significant. Uh, the, the resurrection thing was a very good point about how a lot of other people are resurrected, but of course there was some, some cool stuff surrounding Yeshua's specific resurrection. He's the only guy that predicted the, his own resurrection and then died. And then did it. And, and then, then did it. Yeah. Well, that's pretty. That is pretty cool. This is just a really interesting quote again from Rabbi Chaim Biddle. He talks about like, because Moshe didn't die and resurrect. So like, this is supposed to be a prophet like unto Moshe. His biggest thing is that Yeshua sent. Well, sorry, the the person that was quoting Rabbi Chaim Biddle was pointing out that Rabbi Chaim Biddle points uh, to Yeshua uh, Mashiach raising going. Uh, it says. Mashiach, who will largely be unknown, will thereupon rise up to heaven, just as Moshe ascended to the firmament, and will be subsequently returned to be revealed completely for all to see. The entire Jewish people will then perceive him and flock toward him. So the ascension is actually a big deal as well, hmm. because it ties back to Moshe. Hmm. This is a prophet like unto Moshe, right? Hmm. Uh, so I thought that was actually a really and good Moses point. Moses is not around either, by the way. Right. Neither is Elijah. Hmm? My heart. Yeah, in your heart, right? Yeah. <laughs> the end of the statement doesn't line up. The, end of the, the entire people will flock to him. Right. Exactly. Except that's what the Arthur meant when he wrote this. Well, but that's according to scriptures. It's not according the, to the rabbi. Uh, he's talking about Moses, right? That the entire. Are you, are you talking about Moses, or are you talking about, talking about Messiah? Quote that Greg, that Greg said. Right. Doesn't that match what the scripture says Messiah will do? All the nations will flock to him. All of the Jews will be caught up together with him. Yeah. So we're and then all the nations quote from the way I understood it said he will he will resurrect a, and then all the nations will flock to him. B. We're just saying well, this Yeshua. Is. This is obviously talking about Yeshua because he meant a, but he never meant B. 
all the nations right. didn't flock to him. Right. That's how yeah. it is with like right. everything, though. So right. we're just throwing. The only reason I brought this up was just to point out that like ascension is is a part of like this idea of Mashiach. I'm with you there. Like from that's Judaism's cool. perspective, yeah, ascension is a good is a, is a big thing. Because too. the A is important. Since we're not allowed to say that, that doesn't mean he's not going to be. Right. Or right. hasn't done it right. yet. Right. But I feel a whole lot of freedom now saying, well, okay, you know, if you want to say he's not the Mashiach, that's fine. Maybe not right now, but maybe later. All right. Who else? Who else? Yes, but yes, sir. If I could just speak to that point. Which point? That point. Oh, good. That he's not right now. I would say. Um, that you have the in, everyone who wrote in the in the apostolic scriptures disagrees with you. They all call him Messiah Yeshua, Yeshua the Messiah, the, the Messiah, the Messiah. We believe in the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah, over and over and over and over again. Um, so clearly, they did not see him as part A. Put a pin in it. Could be Messiah. Part B. We'll make sure he is. They saw him as is Messiah. But, but we, just went through, we just went through this, though. That's the difference. Well, but, no, they I, I saw that. and they believed and they call him the Messiah. I get it. But what I'm saying is you're saying that anyone who doesn't see um, shouldn't say he's the Messiah. I did not say that. Well, I said that I'm okay if other people say it. My apologies. My point is just simply to say that the fact that he is Messiah, present tense, was something believed by those who saw Absolutely. And to Peter's point, he doesn't have any problem, evidently Judaism wouldn't have any problem, saying, might have been the Messiah. Some might not, but definitely Rambam obviously says But when he comes, he could be the Messiah. I mean, I want to defend... He's not qualified, but he's not disqualified when he comes. I mean, there are... We have been quoting, as Taylor sent another email in, and one of his comments about reading the whole thing right here... Um, was simply this point out that there are um, there is a lot of, it, there is a tendency to, to like want to quote a rabbi as proof of something when the rabbi is not saying that so I get that like obviously we're, we're citing Rambam as lining up with Yeshua but Rambam does not say Yeshua is Messiah I don't, I don't think anybody said that I don't think anybody implied that anyway yeah alright well Joshua's point is valid that your position doesn't square with the New Testament as well well that is correct. I didn't say it did. I said it lined up no. with what you were saying. I didn't say you said it did. I only said it. He said. That <laughs> <laughs> call me a Christian again. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Final comments. We are unfortunately once again out of time. By the way, don't ever call me a Christian. <laughs> we will be wrestling. <laughs> and you will lose. <laughs> I've never seen a man <laughs> <laughs> never. Well, this is just a quick question to clarify your position. Like, oh, wait, now I have a position? Well, you, you definitely, you definitely, I haven't really heard anyone say that before. Like, just to say, like, I'm absolutely, totally fine with, like, people just completely disregarding Yeshua. I don't recall saying well, absolutely kind of, or completely fine. Well, so let I, me go I'm, ahead and I'm assigning some qualifiers. All right. So let me go ahead and let, let me go ahead and refine what I said. <laughs> Sevenfold accuracy. Yeah, I I I understand Peter's comment that Judaism would not have any problem 
seeing Yeshua as the Messiah when he comes person. and does what he's supposed to do. I get that. So they're not denying that Yeshua can be the Messiah or will be the Messiah. They deny that he is the Messiah. So... And the package that goes along with that in the New Testament. Well, right. But where did that come from? Because Rambam calls him out by name. Yeah, I never said Yeshua. Okay, uh, right. They would be okay with a person. You know, so yeah. they, because so, of all of history, you're not going to get a Jew to say yeah, there's too Yeshua. There's too much emotion. There. That, exactly. That was, that was actually my point, was that like you, you could never say that regarding someone specific. You would have to be speaking generally. Generically, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. In which case, so my I, father. So I'm leaving tonight thinking, okay... I get it. You don't want to say he is the Messiah because he died. The fact that he rose seems to put a little kink in that, and then he ascended. Also good. But I get it. So you don't want to say that he's the Messiah now because he's not here, and he died. I get it. At least I've got some common ground with people that don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Would you at least give me that he could be when he comes and does everything that the Messiah is supposed to do. Yes. Okay. Well, we just made some... You know what I mean? That's yeah. what I'm looking at. Okay. That's what I'm looking at. Definitely agree. What, what my, my current view is, um, I'm only sharing my current view with Greg, and only if he doesn't share it. Ah! <laughs> All right. Greg, you want to make a final comment there? Nope, I'm good. All right. By the way, thanks for uh, not infecting us. And uh, thanks for joining in. I appreciate that. Colby. Uh, my biggest one of struggle is is not the Yeshua Messiah part. It's the, you have to accept a lot of other things once you accept There's that. There's baggage with that, you're saying? You have to accept the Holy Testament. Yeah, do you? Yeah. Is there not? There was no, I don't Which call it, I don't, the Old Testament. I don't call it the New Testament, by the way, because it implies that the Torah and the Tanakh is old. So I yeah. hate that term, but um, the, the, yeah, the apostolic, apostolic writings, writings. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even calling them scripture, so I don't want to offend anybody. But uh, yeah, the apostolic writings, um, I, I don't know that you have to have the apostolic writings in order to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah because of several reasons, and I'll pop them off real quick. Number one, there was no such thing, no such thing. When, as the apostolic writings, the A.W., like the root beer, back in the days of uh, Yeshua, or his apostles, number one. Number two, there was no official canon of the apostolic writings for another 200 or more years. Number three, that canon was not canonized by the same people that canonized the Tanakh. So I get it if there's a problem with those writings. But as Joe and I were talking before class started, there is far and away an unbelievable amount of evidence of his, his works, his life, his death, his resurrection. You know, there's, there's extra biblical writings all over the place and some in Judaism that describe what went on and quite frankly, I don't need the apostolic writings to know and believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. So if somebody wants to leave that baggage aside, I don't have a problem with that. But to Peter's point, the, now, the that's, only, that's not normally... Yeah, hang on one second. Just um, let me finish. Hang on one second. Just let me finish the, the, the sentence. Um, 
that's not normally the Christian take. Go ahead, Griffin. I wouldn't expect you to give me the The only other thing I would add is, regardless of whether you believe the apostolic writings are inspired, not inspired, whatever, um, to me, they are Jewish writings. They were written by Jews, written, you know, about primarily a, another Jew. I mean, so when we think in, in, in its second temple literature, so it predates, it predates the, the, what we have today as the Mishnah, it predates Gemara, it predates Rambam, Rashi, and everything else that we study. Um, you know, it, it is an early set of Jewish writings. And for that reason, I think they should be at least, at the very least, considered as another set of Jewish literature. I'm with you 100%. Um, because that's what they are. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I don't disagree with that at all. But I am saying that if somebody wants to give up the, the quote-unquote baggage of the apostolic writings, I can still work with that, and I don't have to deny that Yeshua is the Messiah because I don't have them. But I'm with you. They're, uh, they are, I think, historically accurate, very, very uh, useful, no question. Fact, although, although have, I think they're some of the most... in the Gospel, where um, in the Apostolic Writings, a Tana, who is a famous Tana that is quoted often in the Mishnah, who stood up in front of the Sanhedrin and said, look guys, you know, be careful about going against this movement because you might find that you are fighting against God. Yep. And that that came from the mouth of a Tana that is well respected, you know, um, in mainstream Judaism. Yep. So Yeah, it's good stuff. Final comment. Okay. Well just that's that's an excellent point about like one one belief kind of getting associated with a whole bunch of other stuff but like that's kind of that's always been my perspective of like coming here instead of going to church or like bible studies is that all of those other beliefs all get questioned and passed through the lens of like jewish writings and torah and tanakh whereas that and that that's just what makes it different you know because that's that's always tricky it's a lot easier to make arguments on on each side when you have like two very black and white things Judaism and Christianity, but then when you introduce like this whole middle ground, that's where we're playing in. We're in, yeah. we're playing in this yeah. thing like that's that's no one in the church would agree with what Mr. Upham just said. That's right. That they're pri- you know primarily like you know, calling it temple sem- second temple second literature, temple literature and all that. Right? Like I mean, my yeah, like the final final. All right, yeah, just, we'll get uh, if you look at other people like Simcha Fulmutter or Robert Lichtenstein back in the day who never yeah. had a New Testament, yeah, that and still profess. Right. I, I don't even think that's. To, to your point, you can definitely have Absolutely. that passed out. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the first the first believers, you know, that's what they had. So, um, it, it would be a shame if uh, if Yeshua could have been, would have been, is, can't be, might be the Messiah, and will be when he comes, whatever we're, we're now having to phrase or choosing to phrase that, it'd be a shame to miss out on knowing the person of the Messiah. Because of, of, of uh, other baggage that we can do without, I think that we would lose out on some additional stuff that would be very cool if we did so. But 
we will have to move on. I will, um, if you guys have uh, thoughts on the direction for the next class, um, my uh, take was to go to Isaiah 53 and take a look at what uh, Rabbi Singer says in uh, refutation of those Christians and what they do and have done uh, to see uh, if he has any validity, but uh, I am open, so please let me know your thoughts. We thank you, Adonai, our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall. And you have not established our portion with idlers, for we arise early and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah. They arise early for idle words. We toil and they toil. We toil and receive reward. And they toil and do not receive reward. We run and they run. We run to the life of the world to come. And they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for us, we will trust in you. Amen. Amen.